Welcome to the Super Novice Adventure Podcast. This is a podcast where I talk about the things that I am currently making, have made, or am struggling to work on at the current moment. This is episode 10, I Made a Tabletop, and man, there was a lot to learn from that. So, uh, without very much further ado, let's get into it. First things first, let's just go over some of the details that I kind of learned and actually some of the stuff that came up as uh, within the time frame of me learning it. I entered a game jam, which actually was a really interesting opportunity to make a tabletop on the other side of talking about it for the last month and some change and even looking at the tabletops that I have played over the years. But what made this really interesting was immediately after me making a game jam tabletop, I stumbled upon Wendy's The Feast of Legend. And that actually taught me a nice chunk more about my own tabletop than actually making it myself. So that's actually what I'm here to go over with you guys. The steps that I took to make my tabletop and the things that I learned from reading just the player side of Feast of Legends. So let's kind of get into the beginning of what all of this was. I entered into the Mega Jam or the Mega RPG Jam on itch.io and I entered in early enough to actually kind of even help choose one of the themes. It was a voting process in order to narrow down the themes to the most popular one. I read all the information look at it 48 hour jam on a work weekend which wasn't all too big a deal just something i would have to cope with so i go in knowing what my limitations are and i start working on my game the topic was you are not the hero I immediately think of one of my favorite games when I was younger, Phantom Brave. And I make a game with that in mind. The the idea of being a phantom and you having to run with the options that are given to you by Morona, who is constantly summoning you to fight for her. So I work on it for a bit of time and I break down my process as a kind of multifaceted process. What's the theme within the theme? So what did I come away from? So the idea of you're not the hero, when I first talked with a few of my friends about the theme on the night of the launch, they also had a few different viewpoints where 
Maybe you're a mercenary. Maybe you're a merchant. Maybe you're a squire. Maybe you are just some random guy that has absolutely nothing to do with anything that the hero does, but you are constantly affected by them. Uh, I had a couple of different thoughts and processes that were coming from other people that I could use and help myself with. So the first step for me was to break down the theme into the interpretation of the theme. What was not only the theme of the series, but the lens in which I would view the theme. How would I see it? If you take any series that you've watched or read, there are normally multiple themes that are going on within the series, especially if it's a good one at the same time. So you would immediately go a little bit further past um, basic themes and just go, okay, cool. This theme also has this, this, and this as well. So to kind of illustrate my point, The Walking Dead, there are themes of of humanity and what it costs to have humanity. Uh, one theme I feel happens within the series the entire time is that there is no home anymore. Even though the series of The Walking Dead has a lot of places that the characters can call home at one point or another, if you actually look at it, they very rarely get to spend very long in any one place before it stops being able to be called home. The themes and ideas can be broken down and interpreted in multiple different places in multiple different ways. With a tabletop, it's no different when making it. So I broke it down to what was the lens that I would view the theme in. Then the next thing I thought upon was what was the objects that I would need to break down the theme. How would I make this theme playable? What would be the, the gameplay options or implications to make this theme playable? A good example is one of the possible options for this Mega Jam was only one die. Okay, well, you can interpret that as you could only have one die, but you could have an assortment of other things. But how does the one die come into play? Where does it come into play? What does it do? So that was my thought process as I built out the game. The first thought was, what items can I use? I thought about the game in terms of having a GM. So therefore, if there's a game master, there's somebody that is kind of holding the rules accountable. But because of the fact that there's somebody holding the rules accountable doesn't mean that they have to be 
the creator of the world and everything within it as much as just a a, a push or a pull for the story. So with that, I took a page from Reunima and wanted the GM to be Morona. I wanted the GM to be the reason why they come into the physical plane and are disturbed from their existence. But because of the fact that I wanted them to be Morona, I also wanted the world to feel a little bit more their own. So I took something from 4th edition D&D, which was the encounter decks. I wanted to make a deck that would be something for the group to be able to fight. A dungeon, a, a crawl, a, a scary beast in and of itself. And so therefore, I wanted to have that little bit of nuance that they wouldn't be able to have. After I thought of having the GM be a bit of a player, if not a player, with the players and the encounter deck, after that, what was the next thing? Was there any other items that I wish to bring into the game? I thought about it and I thought about the type of dice that they would use because of the fact that I have access to your standard tabletop dice I looked at the dice that I had and I didn't outright say to myself that I was going to use them but I just looked at them as my options. So I considered using nothing but D4s. I considered using nothing but D12s, so on and so forth. With that consideration in play, I stopped building my baseline of what it was that I wanted to do, and I started working on the actual rules of the game. Now, the rules that I worked on in order were more of a a mismatch of different things that I worked on from one place to another. I started off thinking about being a phantom and a merchant from Phantom Brave, where if I am a merchant, then therefore I need to have merchant stats and skills and so on. I have to say, I, I definitely was very pigeonholed in my mindset where I couldn't get away from Dungeons and Dragons enough to actually make something that was unique when I thought of being a phantom merchant. Everything had to be tied in to your standard Dungeons & Dragons stats. And I think that actually made the game I made much weaker because of the fact that most of the stats originally had that D&D feel. But yeah, that original feeling was very much, much weaker than what it could have been just from the start. After I wrote down the types of stats that there would be, I also decided to 
break down the classes. So both the stats and the classes were a very important thing to me. I felt that there was no way to make a game with the tabletop in mind without doing one of the first things that came to mind, which for me was what are the classes that everybody are playing in almost any tabletop that I've ever played. That is literally the first thing that I look for. What are my play options? How do I get to play in a game like world of darkness? You don't have classes, but based off of where you put your stat points tells a story about your character, similar to how Sam and fuzzy gives you bonuses to things. Um, and therefore, as you get better in your th uh, field, you can become a higher level of job in Sam and Fuzzy. Where literally, that is the thing, your job dictates things in Sam and Fuzzy comparative to uh, World of Darkness, where World of Darkness, you could be a driver and just have no ability in uh, drive or uh, vehicle handling, which does not mean that you can't drive. It just means that driving under pressure is not a thing that you're good at. And there's a huge difference between somebody that can drive a car and drive a car in a snowstorm while being rammed, attempting to be pushed off the road hugely different skill set with that being said the first thing that came to my mind was building classes so i built out the three archetypes the merchant the fighter and the mage upon building those three archetypes i built out three archetypes for the fighter three archetypes for the merchant and two archetypes for the mage now, of course, I could have done three, three, and three, but I couldn't think of anything else for the mage. So I left them as is. So after building out those those archetypes, I came up with specifics for each archetype that made that class stronger or weaker uh, or stronger than a another class that had the exact same stat builds and set that. Then I worked on what the stats were. So after I came up with what I felt would be uh, stronger or weaker stat builds or what would have what stats, I played around with the idea of each stat. Each stat became its own thing, and that's when I started giving definitions to each one of the stats. After I felt that I understood what each one would be to each class, I defined the stats. And if I felt that certain classes were using essentially two stats that sounded the same when I would go to define them, I just merged them into one. 
keeping myself moving instead of overthinking. I'd rather type out two sentences, realize that they're practically the same sentence, reword one sentence so that way encompass the second sentence and delete the second sentence, then spend three times as long thinking about how to put the two sentences into one before I realize whether or not they're even two. After that, I gathered all my resources from uh, looking at the stats and I thought about which ones were player character stats. This is where stuff kind of gets a little bit messy because of the fact that there are some stats that I felt would be stats that the player controls versus stats that I felt that wouldn't be ones that the player controls. I looked at all of them. I came down to six stats that were stats that the player could control, which when you look at your standard tabletop, these would be the ones that you would put your ability scores. So with these stat slots, I assigned it essentially using the Dungeons and Dragons, uh, not Dungeons and Dragons. I assigned it with a, a little bit of Reunima in mind where you had one dice of each type except for a D6 and you got to assign a die from a D4, two D6s, D8, D10, and a D12. You got to assign a die to each one of your stats and therefore that was what you were good or not good at. These stats being health, mana, strength, dexterity, intelligence, and skill. Health and mana being consumable stats that your characters will burn through over the course of time. And strength, dexterity, intelligence, and skill being stats that don't get consumed as you play as much as used. So the question of whether or not you need mana for your fighter would be an important question because if you don't need mana for your fighter, then putting a D4 in, into their mana makes it a perfectly valid dump stat. And I tried to loop as many stats within to each other as possible. So that way it didn't feel like one stat was superior or inferior or not, not into each other. I tried to loop as many stats into other things as possible. So your phantoms at mana cost will also be your phantoms cost for summoning. So if your mana stat was really high, you would also cost more to summon, which would in turn mean that you are keeping other allies from being summoned onto the field. The reason why I felt that this was a interesting idea was because the characters that use mana also can do a lot of damage very quickly. So even though they have very short turn timers, how long that their phantom can stay on the field, they could probably wipe the floor with a lot of things. Um, 
this tabletop was not meant to be very balanced. It was going off of a game series that at one point uh, during the original demos that the game showed me when I was first uh, watching the game being played, I noticed that at higher levels, uh, characters would just go a billion times before their opponents. And so therefore, they would just straight demolish them because they were just that fast. It was also kind of a thing where I felt that that actually made that that much more interesting. So, yes, I, I did not feel that that balance of everything was exactly necessary. Then I made a few other items. Uh, well, I made a few other things that turned out to be items for the game. I wanted to have an idea of team creation for the game. So both the player and the GM are responsible for the world that is in front of them. So the players are creating items. They're making the concession of the world be a part of theirs. And actually, I wanted it to not be so pigeonholed to whatever the GM makes. Inspiration from hearing about this one game where it doesn't matter whether or not there was a secret door or a secret passageway over there. If one of the players rolls for the secret passage being there and they get a successful roll, well, that secret passage is there. And I like that idea that it isn't 100% the GM that comes up with it. And because of the fact that I wanted it to very little be straight up the GM's responsibility for the world, I felt that that was a very interesting attempt to balance out the GM's role and importance to the world. So I added a item creation and list using the deck of cards that I was going to use for my players to be an encounter deck, I decided that the flip side could also be really interesting. So the players finding items in equal to X, Y, or Z, uh, I decided to use a die to help decide how many monsters were within the field and also using a bit of the encounter deck rules to edit the uh, field itself. So the type of monsters and so on and so forth. Why the GM was necessary. So that way it wouldn't just be the players knowing that this is going to happen and dealing with it that way. As much as just them finding out that this happened as well as that and this. I also wanted to do the exact opposite. So place down boons for them to gather that only exist during the battle. Each one of the items being something that they had to risk reward of keeping things alive versus them getting wrecked. And also there was risk for everything. Now, I know I hadn't placed any rules to keep everything from just devolving into 
take out everybody except for the last one and then just rob everything clear. Like, I didn't do that at all while I was playing. And, well, I kind of can see where the flaws would be, but I didn't have time to think about that. That was, you know, a seven-day version Hannibal, not 48-hour jam. As well as even making uh, armor and equipment from materials that you find out in the world, which is the reason why I wanted it to be a group exercise of making items that exist. After um, making items and everything and trying to come up with a few rule sets, I went into making spells. Spells for the spellcasters. Now, I had very little time at this point when I was writing about the spells. So what I did was I actually broke it down into what type of spells are there. And I just left it at that. So I broke it down into the type of spells attacking healing debuff do they have a target do they do areas do they choose an area um what kind of elemental damage and what kind of range does it have and i was going to leave it as a blank slate where you had to pick one from each one and therefore it would up or lower your dice damage and therefore it would make it more of a pick and choose of what you want from said spell. I did the most basic part of that and I didn't actually get the chance to do the rest. This is where my tragedy comes in. Upon getting ready to submit the podcast, um, <laughs> upon getting ready to submit the actual piece, I found out that the jam was over about three hours beforehand i had misread the time that was stamped on it either that or it changed but either way i looked at it and thought that it was was for 10 and this deadline was six so three hours later as i'm about to push this through i was three hours too late and i just finished up the jam uh at my leisure finished up the ideas and thought processes and have like a v1 up on the supernoviceadventure.com just so you can see what I came up with. I was supposed to come up with a character sheet, but also didn't have the time at the time and didn't get working on it then. So I'm leaving it without the character sheet right now and will make one over the coming days so that way you can at least have something to run your character with. Now, this is the part where I talk about the thing I found immediately after completing the game and how I feel like I have learned a huge lesson about making a tabletop, not just from making my own game, but from seeing somebody else make their own game. Okay, so now that I've made the game a few days go by 
I had some time to talk about it, go over it, and even was kind of going over a few notes. I get one of the few times Google has recommended something that I legitimately was curious about, and I see this game, and I go, wait, Wendy's made a tabletop? Of course, curiosity gets the better of me, and I decide to download it immediately, because it was free, and read into it, and god damn it, I was surprised that it actually was a decent enough bearing system. Now, for the purpose of this episode, I really only needed the player side of things to actually have a decent understanding of what I saw that I did not have within mine. Something that on the other side of making it, I felt that the much more polished game systems I had seen out there had maybe skewed my eyes toward the possibilities of what was possible. While this system being good, even serviceable, if I was to just have some friends on a very weird campaign, was not great. It had its own limitations. One limitation being the fact that it only goes up to level five. One bonus is that it goes up to level five. You know where the cap is. For somebody like me who was making a tabletop for the first time, not modding rules, but making one from the bottom to the top, that had not crossed my mind. So one of the first things that I I had noticed among it that made me want to take a deeper look into what I was reading and how I was digesting it was that detail. And that was something that I had noticed. The character classes and everything had a lot that went off of them. You understood a lot of the classes and where they're from, what they hail, what they respect, and even a little bit of player archetype, unlike with mine. And so therefore I felt that that was one thing that I could definitely improve on version two of this game, which was the idea that the characters actually have a little bit of information and world building that makes up their character from both their class or even backgrounds or something of that nature, but just something to work off of. The fact that the classes were the reason why they got that bonus and boon in the Feast of Legends was not all too bad. Then I going to backtrack when I started breaking down a lot of the detail from the beginning. One of the things I noticed that first things I noticed didn't have a lot of attributes or stat. One of the things I actually liked about this was that the stats were simple and defined very easily. There was not very much confusion in which stat did what. Each one of the few stats that there were in the game 
were very, very, very straightforward. They either had dual purpose or there was very few things that would come out of this option. A great example is that strength not only measures your physical strength, but also your mental strength. So the idea that this stat is a dual caster, it measures so much of your physical and mental, and in every regard, you want to put it a decent score into that, but it also depends on what kind of character you're playing that would decide whether or not you really want that in there. Uh, then you have grace, which allows you to be graceful and talk your way out of things, movement, and so on and so forth. There's so many small details that I really liked about it. These stats that made everything simple. And I feel that it, it struck a little bit better for me because of the fact that it was much closer to the thing that I had just made than the Goliath that is Dungeons and Dragons or World of Darkness. They are curated, tested by dozens and dozens and dozens of people. So I don't get to see that first draft. I get to see draft number 3,752. So it was a little bit easier to understand what went into. Also, I also will say that the way that you build your character is also very interesting. It took a note from Dungeons and Dragons and uses the dice roll system, but instead of multiple D6s, you use multiple D4s. And that was something that I noticed immediately just by looking at it by having just that feature in there that you have this mindset of that there's a cap of what you can and can't do how far you can go because even if you get max rolls on d4s and as you level up you add more and more and more you're only going to have a grand total of eight dice rolls eight dice rolls of d4s on the table for that character so therefore you're only going to have a max of four times eight that's not that high you know where the cap is so therefore you know where the bottom is going to be and just that thought process had not crossed my mind when making my game i did not think about what i should cap everything at and what the minimum should be. Even though I've seen it in Dungeons & Dragons. In Dungeons & Dragons, the cap and the minimum exists. They have been there for years. I've even looked at them. Whenever you look at your modifiers for your strength or anything, the modifier chart is based off of what the cap is. What is the absolute maximum that your characters can get to? And what is the absolute minimum that your characters can have? So seeing that, that D4 thing, sure, it was not new information, but it changed how I received said information. Receiving the information in a different way allowed me to actually feel like I understood it. 
I missed that when making mines, not having a cap for what the strength was. Even though I was going for something that was outlandish, like any other Nippon Ichi series, where characters and classes get so powerful that one-shotting a boss is not even weird, I still forgot to have that cap in there for me to just understand where and when I'm going. The next thing that came about it was that I noticed that there was a nice chunk of humor within the series. Uh, if you ever, ever want to see something that's literally not taking itself serious while trying to give you a relatively serious world that is a joke in and of itself, read this. I am not even joking. It is outright a giant ad at the same time as it's telling you, seriously, this is actually kind of funny. It's weird, weird giant ad. The classes in there are ads for their food. The way you roll your dice is an ad for their menu. Everything about this is an ad. And yet still, I found myself laughing about this and talking with my friends about how ridiculous the setting is. The writing in and of itself being light and airy was a very interesting thing. And I had not even thought about how great that could feel. That is one thing I can outright say I had failed at when writing this. Of course, I was on deadline and I was working by myself. I hadn't even gotten everything down. So there's no way I was going to have time to throw in a joke while also trying to keep the system from being complete garbage. But I hadn't even thought of whether or not I could throw in a joke. Everything was so serious in my head of just getting it out there that throwing in a joke was not even on the menu. I even almost forgot to mention that the idea that the dice were a gateway, the stat system itself was a gateway to almost make truly random characters, which was something that I wanted to pull from the Nippon Ichi series, but I completely forgot about it. Like, I forgot to use it to my advantage. Making truly random characters is the part of Nippon Ichi series that is the best. Having a godforsakenly worthless character that you have on the team, and even having a Nuzlocke-type rule where you take the first one that you get when you go to make it means that you tend to end up with either complete garbage or amazingness at times. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think me and my friend uh, Tom even actively did that in certain games from this company to make even better fighters because of the fact that we would use the garbage one to uh, spend more money on them to become better uh, stat-wise and then, and then upgrade them 
through some in-game way to upgrade them to become the same level that they should be but with all the pluses that they had from before so instead of their stats having a negative three or actually negative 30 percent to all of them because they had say a title on them that was just complete garbage I use other characters that are stronger and better, replace that title that had a negative 30 to all their stats, and therefore the plus that I put on to each character would actually be a bonus, and it would actually make the character better, stronger, more reliable. So I forgot the actually the actual idea of just making stats random, rolling for them and using weird ways to roll for them as an actual interesting thing. The last thing I learned from the Feast of Legends was the gameplay rules and how upfront and simple set they were. Again, the fun was built into it. The Feast of Legend has a rule set for buffs and debuffs, which was the best part of the entire game system. I would so run this game just for that. Because it would be a really interesting thing between a group of friends if we had a day off and we all just did this. This is what we did for our day off. And the buff and debuff system, because it was the best part of the game for me, I think it's only really a right to actually apply it. I like the idea that you would get buffs and debuffs based off of the food that you ate that day. And again, because it's a giant Wendy's ad, you got buffs from eating Wendy's food, and you got debuffs from not eating Wendy's food. And just the debuffs and what they debuffed was great. Eating gas station food gave you a minus two to intelligence, which honestly... In real life, you already got a minus two to intelligence, especially if you're eating gas station sushi. And the idea of it being a real joke that was fun for everybody at the table is it's something that everybody can have a conversation about at the table while playing. I, I felt that that was like the best part of the system, because even if I don't ever run this game, it is a thing that I can joke with, with with my friends from just doing this. Yes, sitting down, reading this, they would get it. They would go, oh, God, really? You're going to give me a, going to give me a debuff to all of my, my spells because I ate a taco? Shit, a bit of mage. So, yeah, uh, it was definitely a very interesting thing. I'm not even sure if I even laid out my thoughts uh, as clearly as I possibly could have. But these are my thoughts on the other side of making the game and reading 
something that was within the same vein of my game that I made, I implore you to try out the tabletop that I made, give me any feedback that you have, and have fun regardless. My name is B. Hannibal, and I will see you later with the next whatever I am working on. Have fun and stay creative.